Welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast. This episode of the Retail Exchange is brought to you in association with Attentive. Drive sales with text message marketing. Visit attentive.co.uk slash exchange to see what Attentive can do for you. Welcome to the latest episode of the interview series from the Retail Exchange Podcast. I'm Carl McKeever. Our guest on this latest episode, recorded at World Retail Congress, is Alex Gonzalez, Director Global Sustainability at CNA Europe, one of the leading fashion retail businesses in Europe with 1,575 stores in 21 countries, as well as a presence in Brazil, Mexico and China. In this episode, we're talking sustainability, more specifically, how retailers can build a sustainability action plan that delivers meaningful traction within the business. For CNA, sustainability means rethinking how it designs its products for their next life. In his role, Gonzalez is responsible for overseeing the implementation of CNA's global sustainability strategy. He explains what sustainability means to him his experience of building momentum behind sustainability initiatives within multiple global retail businesses, his thoughts on the burning issues affecting fashion retailers' ability to drive change, and the secrets to success for other retailers who are embarking on the journey to cut waste, improve circularity, and achieve net zero goals. Here's the interview. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So, there's a lot of misconceptions perhaps about what sustainability means in retail. How how would you define what sustainability goals retailers are trying to tackle? Well, it's a wide area and I think that something that we've learned is that, you know, there are so many areas that we need to cover um, that sometimes it's really difficult to focus ourselves in those that are important. Um, And depends of, depending on the retailer activities, um, they will be able to focus in one topic or two. Um, but but definitely impossible to really cover all of them. In the garment industry, where is the one the, the one that I'm working, we're dividing in basically two main areas. The uh, the on the uh, environmental, it's carbon emissions, and um, the usage of plastics, and the reduction of waste. And on the social area, we need to have a deep look on our supply chain working conditions, um, et cetera, et cetera. So these are the areas that we have decided to really put efforts behind, especially because, as I said, it is really, really impossible to, be, to become leaders in every single aspect on current environmental agenda. And of course, with the broadening from CSR into ESG, inevitably, companies are going to have to think about where do they focus their resources and on which priorities. How easy is that, do you think, for brands to, to do when, in a sense, they're essentially going to be measured on all of the different touch points and to see how their performance ranks? But of course, you have to pick exactly. something to focus on. Exactly. I mean, this, 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 this you have to pick exercise is basically what due diligence comes, uh, comes with, right? So due diligence process is basically analyzing your, uh, your actions throughout your supply chain and with your own, own, own operations and really understand where the risk lies. And as an extract of it, then you are able to determine based on the risk and your impact on this risk and your influence in this risk, be able to determine where do you have to put your efforts behind. And I think that everyone will understand that once this exercise has been done um, and then you've chosen your, you know, your, your key elements that you have, to, uh, you have to work upon, these are going to be the areas where you're going to put the major efforts on. It doesn't mean that 
the rest of the elements you just forget about them. Yeah. They still need to be part of your uh, of your process and your, your due diligence. But but once you've been clarifying, you know where you're going to put your efforts, where you're going to put your money behind, um, then you're going to be able to really report on the progress of those key elements or the more the more uh, the ones who have more substance. Um, and presumably this is a progressive area. Absolutely. So, you know, as you, within a couple of years, say, focus on particular areas and you achieve some success in that, it enables you then to think about, you know, what's next and where do we shift and move our, our, our focus? Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is this is how the whole process has been in, in the last 20 years, let's say, that CSR is around, right? So I think that in the very beginning of this process, we were pretty naive on how to tackle things. And uh, we have we have learned. Um, through uh, through all of this uh, through all of these years, and at the moment I think that we're we're pretty solid on understanding on you know that we need to focus we need to see what are the topics that uh, that we have impact and only once those elements have been under control we can really grow on other topics. So don't spread yourselves too thin. Exactly. Don't tackle too many things at once. Exactly. exactly. It's going to be focused and successful in some areas. Yeah, I mean you want to you you want to drive impact and uh, the only one the only way of driving impact is really focusing on those topics that you have the ability to drive impact and and actually that's going to create a kind of a like a, 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 a vicious circle right because mm. you know then you're going to prove yourself that uh, by doing the the right exercise put deploying the right uh, resources behind you're able to create impact and that's yeah. going to create even to the to the industry and to the brand and then you get some momentum exactly behind, behind the ability this. to say yes you know that actually works let's go for the next challenge mm. From a sustainability perspective, what are the really burning issues for the retail industry? Well, I think that there's, there's, there's many issues. Um, the real, really burning ones are how to address what we call it scope three emissions. Scope three emissions are the ones who are happening throughout our supply chain. The ones that we don't have direct control. To. Um, as an example, in the uh, garment industry, those account more or less between the 75 and 80 percent of the global, of the total emissions, and as you can imagine, this is a big challenge because even though even if you really want to address it as a company, you don't have the capacity or the ability to drive the change that you want on your own. So, big big challenge here is to really try to deploy, you know, some connections with the rest of uh, your uh, uh, your competitors to find out how you can you know how you can drive change in this area. Without you know, without you know, without dying in this process. Sure, and, and I guess this is where initiatives like the Better Cotton Initiative, for example, ha have a role in terms of on the ground in a particular region, actually trying to drive through improved standards. Among among yeah, among others, exactly among yeah. others. Um, then of course, it's very well connected as well with you know um, with new technologies that we're implementing at the moment. I mean, traceability is going to be very very important because. Even though many people doesn't know that, but there's still a significant number of our products that are hard to be traced until you know the very upstream supply chain. Um, so traceability will be able to give us a lot of data and a lot of uh, proof points that then we can use in order to really substantiate the efforts that we're doing and 
and, and the improvements that we're doing. So. And I think from the consumer's perspective, it's very often the case that they're not aware of some of the environmental impacts that can go into the products that they enjoy. If you take denim, for example, you know, previously there was a huge amount of water that was involved in production. More often than not, that water would have been discharged into natural watercourses, etc. But of course, the industry is changing and even denim production methods are now also changing in response. Exactly, exactly. That's a great example, I think for um, also for the let's say the dual responsibility you know responsibility of the brand of being able being able to provide let's say as, as you said example um, a more sustainable denim being that has used more sustainable raw materials and that has been used uh, you know much less water than in the past in order to do the washing etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, but actually the the life of the product doesn't stop there it actually starts there and there's also, you know, the responsibility of the customer of what we, what, what he or she is going to do with this uh, pair of denim that uh, that has been acquired. How many times this pair of jeans is going to be washed? Mm. That also adds on, let's say, the global, you know, footprint of this particular denim, mm. um, and that's also something that we don't have to forget. Our responsibility, let's say, not only ends on when we deliver the product but also should continue in informing our customer on how they can also be supportive of this, this movement by maybe uh, washing less or washing more carefully yeah. or washing in less temperature. And of course, again, even at the end of the product's life cycle, how, how those go into other forms of the circular economy. Exactly, exactly. Talk us through, from a CNA perspective, your journey to deliver net zero goals. It, it's a journey. And um, at the moment, we have um, uh, so last year we uh, we provided the new the new sustainability strategy that will bring us up to uh, 2028, and the entire strategy is up to 15 goals. Uh, some of them really bold, some other less bold, but in accordance or in alliance with you know what uh, what the industry is is expecting. Could you give us an example of a couple of those really bold areas? Well, I mean, on the circularity piece, where we think it's you know it's going to be the next uh, one of the, the those next you know industry changers. Um, what we have uh, pursued ourselves is that we want for 2028 to seven out of ten of our products are produced under circularity principles. Which, which is... It That's is, hugely ambitious. Yes, exactly, exactly. We already have a history, a past of, you know, really thinking on circularity. Already in 2014, we were able to provide, you know, to the market uh, the first circular T-shirts, and then we have been able to provide the first uh, circular uh, denim. Actually, the denim that I'm wearing today are, uh, you know, fully circular. Um, but uh, there's a still long way to go. And for that, we need, you know, we need support of startups that uh, need to bring up, you know, uh, their uh, visions and to put it into place. And we're, we're ready to support them. We need our suppliers, uh, of course, and uh, we need our designers to uh, think more in, uh, you know, in circular products uh, for the future. Because as an example, you know, when you're blending different type of materials, sometimes it's not that easy then to be able to provide, you know, to this product uh, a second life because it cannot be recycled. That's the reason why we really need to think upfront before we create a product, whether the product will be recyclable or not, will be circular or not. Um, and so all of those topics will need to be part of uh, you know, our decision making when it, comes, when it comes to make this goal real. 
mm. or bring this goal into reality. And, and I'm just uh, incredibly curious, in, in such a massive organisation with you know, m many uh, international markets, and how long did it take to, to narrow those goals down to, you know, that the 15 that you mentioned there as being our key priorities? Mm. Surely there must have been many, many, many conversations over several months to kind of get to that, that, that list. Even years, actually. Yes. So it took us two years in order to really go through that process. Our first strategy started in 2015 and brought us into 2020. Um, but we already in 2018 were starting to, uh, to think about, you know, how the new goals would look like and so on. And, 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 and here we had, we had two options. We had, the first option is, okay, we're going to do a kind of a top-down situation where, you know, sustainability team will bring the vision and the quality of the product and they will say, okay, these are the goals and we're going to move Pretty forward. Pretty much tell the organization. Exactly. Yeah. Or we're going to do a really grassroots approach where we're going to include every single department in the process, they we're gonna we're gonna engage them in trying to make them you know owners mm -hmm. of this process, and as an outcome and as an outcome of all of this uh, of all of this procedure, then we the team will be able to let's say clarify that and provide the goals and then being vetted into the company. We decided we decided to go for the latter one. So multi-stakeholder, high levels of engagement. Yes, absolutely. A lot of working groups, a lot of engagement, people really devoting their time and energy on supporting this process. Um, more than 400 people had actually participated in the working groups and the focus groups. Um, but as an outcome of it, there was a process where everybody then, when the uh, uh, strategy was presented, uh, it was a lot of nothing and a lot of uh, satisfaction about the fact that it was a kind of an inclusive uh, process where every, every, everybody had to say and their knowledge had, uh, had been inc included into the, uh, into the final output. And uh, big question, I guess. What, what is the balance of what is ultimately driving this course for the business? Is it legislation? and um, how the business environment is changing for retailers doing what you do? Or is it the consumer that is essentially saying, actually, no, the world that we want to live in has to be you know, built in a different kind of way, and therefore we demand these things of you? I think it's a little bit of everything, but I would also, as the first stakeholder, was um, the family owner, the family that owns the business, had a very clear ambition about what they wanted the company to move towards to. Right. And, uh, that and of course, really if you have that kind of high-level sponsorship, exactly. then it can only be a good thing. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes we even had to like really you know, calm the shareholders down in saying, oh, uh, this aspiration is probably too high for where we are sitting right now. It's great to really be challenged in that regard. Um, but that but was really small great. steps. <laughs> exactly, it was it was really great to see you know this uh, fully engagement and involvement of uh, of the shareholders uh, in that in that regard. And then of course, you know we took into consideration uh, our internal teams and how they were leaving sustainability and how passionate they were about that. Because I think that what we what we also understood is that um, in general terms, customer wants us to do the right thing. They don't necessarily understand what the right thing actually means. Um, so we really need to be able to explain them in an easy way. And that's something challenging because as you can imagine, this area is quite white and it only becomes wider. 
So there's only more topics that we can really put on the... Yeah. On the, the more you the do, it leads to more to do. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But even if you don't do anything, there's even more topics that you really have to report upon. You know, I mean, uh, let's look backwards and see, you know, 20 years ago, basically people were asking, hey, is this product made, you know, with child labor? And that was the end of the questions. You know, 20 years fa uh, fast forward, child labor continues to be one of the questions that we receive. But in here, you have to talk about traceability, transparency, greenhouse gases emissions, you know, how you deal with your supplier, do you treat them correctly? Um, and of course, now, in, in those 20 years, what we've also seen is, is how the consumer has become much more engaged. Exactly. And they have more tools at their disposal, be that through social media or people who are traveling more, to be able to go and check out these facts for themselves. So no longer will they pick up a corporate report and necessarily believe what they read. You know, there's more scrutiny that's being in, yes. in, involved here. Yes, I think that that's a great incentive, though, because uh, that gives, you know, it gives lesser room for greenwashing which is actually something that we are aspiring to. I mean, greenwashing, it's something that it can be so polluting into the, our industry and other industries um, that just can, you know, it create noise and it creates, you know, a bad understanding of what we have to put our efforts behind. So, you know, the more scrutiny that we had and the more plea for transparency that we get, the better. I was going to ask, uh, how helpful do you think that the media is in, in your journey here? Because clearly there are some areas of the media that will love to find a wrongdoing or a misdemeanor or something that isn't working to plan. And it can become a big story. Headline news for a few days uh, in the press could you know, undermine months of solid, hard work that you've been investing in trying to make change. Yes, but at the same time, I think that media also plays an extremely important role. Um, thanks to media, we have been able to tackle issues in a different way that, that we would have tackled. And that actually has been a kind of a learning process for us. So, I mean, media plays a role and there's absolutely no question about it. Um, I think that it's important for us to really educate also media and journalists about what is the long-term vision, what we're doing. And I think that as long as you'll be able to say, hey, you know, I, have, I don't have everything solved, but I do have a plan behind it, that actually helps um, media and journalists to understand that, you know, okay, the company has, has still some work to do, but actually they figure out how they want to address it. Sure. And I think that that's very helpful as well. My conversation with our guest on this episode of The Retail Exchange is brought to you by Attentive. You can't have a conversation with this ad, but with text message marketing, you can. Attentive lets you launch and optimise a new mobile marketing channel. Interact with your customers where they are through personalised and real-time conversations with powerful results. Attentive drives billions in e-commerce revenue for over 5,000 brands globally. See what Attentive can do for you at attentive.co.uk slash exchange. Attentive. Drive retail sales with text message marketing. I guess this is part of the kind of benefit of the whole um, ESG framework, really, in as much that so many touch points are being measured and audited and, and published so that there can be transparency exactly. in terms of the progress that companies are making. How important do you think um, honesty and trust are, are ultimately in this whole endeavour? I think for, for, for us it's a no-brainer. And I think that we, so as a CNA as a company, actually started a endeavour of changing the perception of what 
transparency means. Um, you know, the company has always been known for trust and loyalty from their customers. Um, but we thought that there was a huge opportunity in becoming much more transparent. Transparent in the, you know, the data points that we provide, transparent in the challenges that we're facing, and transparency in the, those elements that we haven't able to solve, to, to solve yet. You know, we, we, we provided uh, full transparency of our supply chain from 2015, and uh, that was actually not that common back in the days. Um, and we were very happy and very, uh, very excited about the fact that you know, that has become a trend. And now more and more there are other companies that they have seen that you know, actually it's positive that you show to the world that you actually know where your production is being made. Um, I'd love to know in your journey, clearly you'd be gathering ideas and insight and, and things from many different places, but which are the brands that really inspire you personally on their own ESG journey? There are so many topics that need to be addressed that you will always find, let's say, a champion in each of those. Yeah? I think that the, one, the brands that I, that I personally feel they're doing the right job if those that they understood, number one, that they are not going to solve the problem on their own. And, uh, and that accounts for all of those companies. That so there's act- a sort of humility there. Absolutely. Almost. Yeah. Yes. Um, so those ones that have act- actually understood, you know, even though I want to resolve that, I'm not going to be able to do it on my own. Let's try to put this topic, you know, on a pre-competitive space and let's try to solve it together. These ones, they, they do have my respect. And then they can, uh, you know, they can come from, let's say, smaller brands, much more niche brands like Patagonia. But they can go up into, you know, uh, big retailers that they are trying to do their best in order to address that in a, in a cooperative, in a cooperative element, uh, cooperative manners. And we talk, we can talk about PVH. We can talk about many, many companies that are, I think that, you know, that we are sharing same values. And also, let's say that we're pulling efforts together in order to address topics like living wages, et cetera, et cetera. Um, understanding that it's a journey process and that, you know, uh, uh, a quick fix are not going to really go into the heart of the issue. Yeah, and that's why having to take a longer-term approach and a five-year plan is important. Exactly. Yeah. How is technology helping the process and does, does it have um, limitations in where you can reach? I think that at the moment... We have high hopes for technology, and you know everybody's talking about blockchain and uh, and whatnot, um, and they do have they do have the ability of supporting. I think that we also need to make sure that you know we're doing it in the right space, and now we do, we're not jumping into a new technology technology just because it's new. Mm-hmm. And just because it seems appealing, you really have to do a proper due diligence. I think you know we were. I, I, I was I was I was listening the other day. Uh, a podcast actually is talking about how computers are the fourth major uses of uh, electricity and hence greenhouse gases. Right. So, you know, I mean, the whole blockchain situation, you know, I think that we will need to be, we will need to be very uh, analytical on deciding, you know, where it actually works and where it doesn't really work out. There's a lot of good ideas at the moment some of them are startup mode, the startup phase. Um, and I think that one of our tasks is really be able to support those startups to really be able to jump from, 
you know, their current setup into a, a, a scalability process. And of course, the complete opposite side of, of how do you implement and manage these processes is about people, because you can have all the great technology, you know, that's uh, enabled within the organization to do all of this stuff. But actually, in many cases, whether it's in factories, whether it's in logistics, it's about interactions. Yep. And the decisions that people make day to day and whether those are good things or those are bad things. Yeah. Yeah. How as how an organization are you engaging uh, employees in, the, in this huge journey? So what we clearly see is we, we believe, and I think that this is what we also get as a feedback from our, uh, from our co-workers, is that um, they are passionate about sustainability. And they're passionate about the effort that the company is doing to support the sustainable so, sustainable so they're on side and they're supportive yes and 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 the the reason why um, this is happening is because they see that it's honest and that there is true behind tell me alicia about your own career path i'm, I'm curious to know how uh, originally from inditex and now moving to cna some of the differences that there may be within uh, those companies but ultimately what are the driving forces that make them very similar yeah well, they make them very similar because they both, these both organizations, they do have a passion for doing the right thing. And it's driven by, by senior leadership. Yeah, and I guess what's also interesting is both of these are essentially family-owned yes. businesses. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. And I think that that plays a very important role on how the values are being lived by the company itself, you know. We're talking about big-scale companies. We're talking about, you know, uh, thousands of, big, of, of employees. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's very important how, you know, the family lives and breathes the company and their values. So it's very, very important that. And I think that what we, what I have been able to witness, um, you know, in discussions with, you know, with, uh, with the owners of both companies is that they really want to do the right thing. And we need to help them to do the right choices and so they can really feel that their values are being protected. Mm. And this is in incredibly encouraging. And I suppose, uh, not that maybe you're in the business of giving advice to other big organizations, but let's say for companies which have a more corporate structure and where maybe there is less of a personal investment in terms of how the company is run. Are there any insights that you would say to those businesses that are struggling to adopt some of these um, ESG principles? Yeah. Where they haven't necessarily got unified support or a clear voice or their position is, you know, wavering really to, 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 to say, well, look, based on my experiences, these are some key takeouts that you could learn that might help you on your way. Well, I think the very first takeout is that investors more and more, it's not that they believe in ESGs, it's that they, it's, it's a no-brainer. It's just how business will exactly. be done. Exactly. So, so no-brainer anymore. And so they will need to lead it and perform either they like it or they not. And so, it's a, I guess it's a, a question here, whether you lead or whether you follow or whether exactly, you fail. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, the, the, the responsibilities are here for all of us. And then it really depends on how you want to be seen. Is you want to be seen as a leader or you want to be seen as a lagger? And uh, I think that uh, the more people that feel that they want to be seen as leaders, the better it will be for the entire industry and for the entire retail sector because... And you get the whole virtual exactly. circle. Yeah, the, the whole virtual circle starts. Um, you mentioned earlier in the interview that it's, it's difficult to be perfect. But for 
a lot of retailers, they get stuck in this kind of almost expectation that we have to have this super perfect reputation and nothing can go wrong, which can itself be very disempowering because you end up fearing to fail. Mm -hmm. How do you go beyond that and create a culture where actually people will say, look, we'll get eight out of 10, maybe nine out of 10 things right. And you know what? We'll use the things we didn't as great learning points. Mm -hmm. How do you create that within the organization? Well, first of all, I think that uh, the only way of addressing that is just accepting that you're not going to be perfect. And uh, that's okay. And that, you know, people will just not only respect you because you're perfect, but because you are a thoughtful organization that has a plan behind. Mm. And that's, I would say that's more than enough. Uh, that will give you credibility because, um, of course, you will be striving for the best, which is what every organization should do. But you also will, will incorporate in your plan that it's possible that you're not going to be able to meet all of the targets. And that's okay too. And that, that doesn't going to stop you in order to trying, but you still have the capacity of saying, you know, um, I still have a plan in order to address it and I will do my best. And if I don't meet the target, I will explain you the reasons why. And then, you know, public domain will decide whether, you know, the reasons are credible or not. And if they're not credible, then I will be bashed for that and then I have to accept it. But if I've done all, you know, all what is in my, uh, in my hands and I had a, a meaningful plan behind and I'm sticking into it, I think that it's, it, that's, I would say that's perfection to me. Mm. So it's not necessarily setting yourself up to fail. It's actually setting yourself up to, to do the best that you can and to learn where you, you know, fall short. Yeah. I think that, you know, investors and customers, et cetera, et cetera, will recognize that and will, and will support it. Turning to you personally and kind of almost putting your company hat aside, in your life, what are the things that drive you? And clearly sustainability is a big part of your life, but what, what drives you? Well, I try to be as sustainable as possible, but I don't, but I don't fall into this you know, moody situation where I'm not perfect. And I think that that's something you know, we all need to take into consideration. You know, sometimes from the outside, um, they see us as sustainability experts like tree huggers. And you understand me when I'm saying that, you know, uh, while, you know, we just live under, under one regime and, you know, we're all perfect and uh, we can, you know, call people saying, oh, you're not done that or you've, you've taken your car in order to do this. Um, and that's, again, it's doing the same mistake. You know, none of us is perfect and we all have many imperfections and I think that needs, needs, to be, uh, needs to be taken. But I am a person that I feel energized when I am, you know, uh, when I'm in contact with nature, when I'm able to be outside, uh, when, I, when I'm able to uh, surf. That really gives me a lot of energy. Um, and when I spend time with my family, with my, my three kids uh, and my wife, that also gives me the energy that I need. But it's true that, you know, um, you always try to strive for being the most decent human being, knowing that it's impossible to just be perfect mm -hmm. in all fronts to you as a human being. 
be the best version of yourself that you can. Exactly. <laughs> Over the last couple of years, and, and hopefully we're drawing to a point now where we can say that the pandemic and COVID, we can start to say, look, that was then and this is now. But during that time, you know, we all spent much more time at home, had more opportunity to engage with our families, spend time... I suppose, slowing down to a great extent. But through that, there was greater consciousness of our own natural world. I mean, certainly I remember very graphically in the first couple of weeks of the UK lockdown, actually hearing the birds <laughs> and, and actually being part of the fact that I could experience that there was dew on the grass in the morning and what time of day it had yes. dried away. Has the pandemic, you think, been, I'm loath to say the word helpful, but look, has has anything good come out of the pandemic that's going to help consumers on this journey of change to a more sustainable future? I think that in a certain in a certain instance, yes. Um, but there, the world is moving so fast that it's very easy to forget it and think on the new thing. So, so I think that we need to take that opportunity that the pandemic brought us and really double down on this one. And Capture all the good exactly. things. Exactly, and don't forget about it. And we as retailers understand that that was an opportunity in order to really drive, let's say, more sustainable behaviors, et cetera, et cetera, and really support it and not forget about it. Because if we do, um, customers will necessarily move into the new thing, you know. There's always a distraction. Exactly, exactly. I mean, we're all, we're all hit by inflation rates and and, and I, we don't know how long this will, will take us. But let's, don't forget about it. I know I, in, the, in my laptop, I have like this, you know, this, uh, this picture, which is, you know, this little island with, uh, with a big menace of a, of a big, um, um, of a big wave being COVID-19. Okay. Second wave, very big, being, um, being crisis or, you know, economical crisis. And the massive wave behind, massive way behind being climate change. So, you know, we always need, of course, to manage our first challenge we have, you know, inflation or, or, or energy crisis, etc. But we always have to keep in the, in the back of our mind that there is a wider wave that if we don't pay attention day in and day out, it's just going to be very, very damaging for all of us. And I have a sense in talking to you that um, as a man who's very conscious of all these big waves that are out there that could essentially you know, submerge and drown us at any time, it helps to be a guy who's glass half full most yes. of the time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because I think that it, I mean, I mean something that it, I think it's detrimental to some of our colleagues is this gloomy approach to, to life. You know, I think that we're all going to die. Um, well, yeah, but, uh, but I mean, can it's we... This, can, what you do in between yeah, the matters. Exactly. <laughs> can we try to reverse the message and saying, you know, what are the good things that we all can do together yeah. in order to uh, change the future? Which ultimately is about legacy. And, and if we were to say, you know, 10 years from now, what would be your personal aspiration for almost how the world has changed? I think that my, my aspiration is to... That sustainability is no longer for anybody in any sector... In any, in any company in the world, it's no longer a pitch. Some, you know, someone that has to pitch for the business case on sustainability. If that happens, it means that this element has been completely embedded into the, you know, into the decision making, and it's understood as a no-brainer process, something that needs to be taken into consideration, 
and that it's as important as uh, showing your, uh, your figures in black. And if we're able to do that, it means that we have done our job in making sure that we're not talking about a siloed group of people that, you know, work outside of the completely, you know, on the on the It's just business as usual. Exactly. The machinery of the company. And I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I, I work on one of those companies that, you know, I don't have to pitch for activities or for actions related to that. But I do know that a lot of my peers, they still have to. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Um, you have a passion and an energy and a sparkle which you bring to the topic and it's been wonderful to chat. Thank you, Carl, for having us. This episode of the Retail Exchange was brought to you in association with Attentive. Drive sales with text message marketing. Visit attentive.co.uk slash exchange to see what Attentive can do for you. That's all we have time for on this episode of the Retail Exchange podcast. From me, Carl McKeever, goodbye and thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Retail Exchange podcast. Subscribe online at theretailexchange.co.uk and join the debate on Twitter. Hashtag Retail Exchange. Thanks for listening. <laughs>